Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour. Oh, I am so grateful. Don't I always start every episode with that? It's just how I genuinely feel. Every time I say it, I think, yeah, you always say the same things, Jen. Well, I am grateful. I'm grateful for A Course Miracles. I'm grateful for our connection by means of this podcast. I'm grateful for the truth. I am grateful. Yes. So today our episode is about the fact that our success is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. I find that such a big relief. So let's anchor ourselves in a blessing, in a prayer. Grateful, grateful, grateful. We take this breath of love and gratitude, so grateful and thankful that our mind is the mind of God, our heart is the heart of God, that love is all that there is, love is all that we are, that our very nature is perfection, beauty, wisdom. So grateful to open ourselves to unlimited intelligence, infinite intelligence. So grateful to allow ourselves to be fully informed by that higher Holy Spirit self. We are interested in truly knowing that we cannot fail and that our success is guaranteed. Spiritual success is at hand. We welcome it. We say yes to it. We accept it and we allow it to unfold and be revealed. So grateful to share the benefits with our brothers and sisters, with everyone. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. Yes, yes. Our success is guaranteed. So, uh, I I was reading in chapter 2, section 3, which is entitled, The Altar of God. And in paragraph 3, it says, The acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. And once again, what does it mean to accept the atonement? It means to accept that there is no separation, never was, never will be, never could be, because all is one eternally. All is part of God. We are part of God. So this acceptance of the unity of all life, eternal unity, is only a matter of time. It says here, this may appear to contradict free will because of the inevitably of the fi- inevitability, sorry, of the final decision, but this is not so. You can temporize and you are con- and you can temporize. In other words, you can be in the temporary moment. So we can Yield to whatever is the 
dominant philosophy or whatever people are thinking here. This is what he's saying when he says temporize. So you can temporize and you are capable of enormous procrastination. Well, we know that's true. (laughs) But you cannot depart entirely from your creator who set the limits on your ability to miscreate. Now, isn't that amazing when you think about it? Think about all the things that people have done in this world and how intensely off the rails things have gotten at times. And still, our creators set limits on our ability to miscreate. That's a good thing to know, isn't it? That's comforting. I find that comforting. It says, an imprisoned will engenders a situation which, in the extreme, becomes altogether intolerable. So remember that we are told in A Course of Miracles that there is only one will. It is the will of God, and it is the will of God that is real, that is active within us. So there's the illusion of a separate will, but when it seems like we're miscreating, let's say, and that we've gone off the rails, that's the imprisoned will. The will of God is imprisoned by our personality, let's say. So an imprisoned will engenders a situation, it brings forth a situation which in the extreme, becomes altogether intolerable. Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. We've talked about this before. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. And indeed, there is. As this recognition that there's a better way becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. This ultimately reawakens spiritual vision, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight. So as we strengthen the inner sight, the attachment and investment to what we see or think we see with our eyes decreases. The turning point comes. I have taken in the last however many years, 15 years or whatever, to call it a tipping point, a tipping point, because things get so much easier once we get to that tipping point. That's one of the things that my Masterful Living program is all about, walking together to our individual tipping point. And it's so true what he says here. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, there must be a better way. And as this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point, becomes a tipping point. This ultimately reawakens spiritual vision, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight, in ego sight. The alternating investment in the two levels of perception 
So personality and spirit or ego and God, Holy Spirit. This alternating investment in the two levels of perception is usually experienced as conflict, which can become very acute, but the outcome is as certain as God. So I, I think it's safe to say that many of us, when we're on the way to this tipping point, that things seem to become more conflicted. And remember that what Jesus tells us in chapter 2, talking about conflict, that all conflict arises from saying we want the peace of God, but then not choosing it, choosing something else instead. So when we feel that inner conflict, it could be in a relationship, it could be in our job, it could be with the health of our body temple, it could be any any aspect of our life that we can feel the conflict, that we feel agitated. If we can look within and recognize where is it happening that I'm saying I want the peace of God, but I'm choosing something else. Where is that happening? And then, for me, it's been very helpful to call upon the Holy Spirit, call upon Jesus, call upon the angels and everything that's holy, and say, I am willing to choose the peace of God. I am willing to find the path of peace here. I am willing to move out of conflict, to acquiesce, to align with the divine, to align my illusion of a separate will with the only will there is, God's infinite will for me. And then I'm back in peace again. The conflict is gone. Now, when we're starting to do this, it, it, it definitely feels more difficult, feels more challenging because maybe our personality is attached to a grievance, to a grudge, to some point of view or perspective that is the root cause of our pain, right? So, for instance, if we think that things should be different than the way they are, we're going to experience conflict because we're in denial of what is being experienced. We're not accepting it. And we're thinking that we want to try to work our will in this world. We have an attachment to things being different than they are. Now, interestingly, one of the things that I notice for all spiritual students is they'd like there to be more peace. They'd like there to be more joy, more freedom, more wholeness, more harmony, more all good of God. And if we are looking at the world and ranting, yelling, arguing, complaining, attacking, well, then we are not being the peace that we'd like to see in the world. 
Instead, we're arguing with the world. Uh, what was it? I think Mark Twain said something about um, never argue with the fool because people watching won't be able to tell the difference, right? So if we're arguing with the ego, if we're arguing with what is, we look foolish because the ego is, can be very, very clever, but it will never be right, <laughs> and spirit will be wrong. So why argue with the ego? For me, I have found one of the best tools is simply to relax, just to relax, not fight the ego. Why argue with a fool? It's not going to get me anywhere. It's no fun. And I've learned to love myself too much to argue with a fool. So, eventually everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, there must be a better way. Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. As the recognition of a better way becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. This ultimately reawakens spiritual vision, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight. The alternating investment in the two levels of perception is usually experienced as conflict, which can become very acute, but the outcome is as certain as God. Spiritual vision literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement, merely looks for unity. All solutions the physical eye seeks dissolve. Spiritual vision looks within and recognizes immediately that the altar has been defiled and needs to be repaired and protected. Perfectly aware of the right defense, it passes over all others looking past error to truth. Because the strength of its vision, it because of the strength of its vision, it brings the mind into its service. This reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay, realizing that it only adds unnecessary pain. And that's one of the things that I say to people who are interested in doing this work with me, because many people will say, oh, Jennifer, I've been listening to your podcast for three, four, five years, thinking I'll take masterful living someday, and it just never seems like the right time. So that's the thing is, uh, not that masterful living is, is the only solution to feeling uncomfortable or feeling disconnected from spirit or feeling disconnected from spiritual friends and that kind of thing. Of course not. But the ego delays. It delays and delays. It's one of the only tools it has in its, its arsenal uh, uh, or, or one of the weapons that it has is delay. Right, and Jesus says somewhere in the course, time can waste as well as be wasted. So, 
everything works together for our good. There are no exceptions except in the opinion of the ego, but we can delay our good. However, no matter how long we delay, we're going to get there in the end. We will get there in the end. Our success is guaranteed. So, because of the strength of our spirit's vision, it brings the mind into its service. This reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay, realizing that it, delay only adds unnecessary pain. As a result, the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it would once have regarded as a very minor intrusion of discomfort. So, it's, to me, I often think of the princess and the pea, right? So think of the story, the Hans Christian Andersen story of the princess and the pea. The the queen wants to marry her son, the prince, to a true princess. And the true princess is a very sensitive being, has no tolerance for the, let's say, the imperfect. So once the queen starts looking for a princess for her son, all kinds of young women show up trying to fit that bill of being the princess. And so they're auditioning for the role, so to speak. And so the queen sets up this test. 20 mattresses on the bed, one pea underneath one of the mattresses at the bottom, and whoever is the true princess will feel that pea. And the other uncouth ladies, the other less refined ladies, will not recognize that there's a pee under the mattress, right? So nobody's finding the pee under the mattress. They don't even know it's there. They don't feel it. One night uh, in a storm, this woman who is a princess shows up at the door seeking shelter. They take her in, put her in the princess bed. Lo and behold, she doesn't sleep well all night because of the pee under the mattress. So to me, we are all of us like that princess. And we're pure spirit. We're this perfect, feeling, knowing beautiful, innocent being. And we will notice that pee under the mattress when we're living in our true identity, knowing who we are. We will feel that pee under the mattress. We'll feel the lie. We'll feel the violence in the mind. We'll feel the unloving thought. We'll recognize it right away. Oh, there it is. And that's what he's talking about here, that Spiritual vision, cultivating spiritual vision, cultivating the willingness to align with divine will, 
reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay, realizing that it only adds unnecessary pain. As a result, the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it would once have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort. So that's one of the things I see all around me in our community is people become very aware, oh, I was just judging there. I had an attack thought there. Oh, that thing I said to my spouse, to my child, to my coworker, it was a bit judgy. It was a bit of an attack. Oh, I was trying to make them feel guilty by saying that, by asking that, by withholding something. And I was trying to punish them. So we become highly sensitive to all these egoic behaviors. And there's a period of adjustment that needs to happen. Because we, at first, the more sensitive we become, the more we realize, oh my God, there's peace under every mattress all the time. It's too much. I'm becoming so sensitive to uh, all the um, unloving thoughts, all the unkind thoughts, all the ways that we edge God out. I'm becoming so sensitive to them. It's almost overwhelming how insensitive I had become. So then we realize, okay, let me just focus on this for a bit. I'm going to focus on watching my mind. I'm going to focus on being loving. I'm going to focus on being kind, being gentle, loving myself free of limiting thoughts and beliefs. We make some real headway. It starts to get easier. And then we recognize that rec- seeing, feeling, knowing all the negative effects of our thoughts, it actually becomes extremely helpful that we can't go unconscious anymore. The mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it once would have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort. The children of God are entitled to the perfect comfort that comes from perfect trust. Until they achieve this, they waste themselves and their true creative powers on useless attempts to make themselves more comfortable by inappropriate means. So, success is guaranteed. We'll get there in the end. There's no question of that, but we can speed it up. And by speeding it up, we are decreasing the amount of time that we spend in suffering. And this is what Jesus says when he talks about meditation, that meditation can be helpful, but it also can be a very slow route to awakening, to remembering our true nature, our true identity. It's not the most effective and efficient use of our time. So, of course, I'm someone who meditates every day. I take time for meditation, being still. But I don't take huge amounts of time for that. 
Be still and know I am God. I can be still and know I am God in five or ten minutes. I don't need to have hours and hours. So this is the thing that we are learning. Are we doing spiritual practices to try to slow our spiritual growth down? Are we doing spiritual practices that distract us from remembering our true identity and the true identity of our brothers and sisters? This is what we can pay attention to in order to get to that tipping point so much faster. And it's important to get there faster. Why? Because the quicker we get there, the more helpful we can be to our brothers and sisters and help eliminate suffering everywhere. And simply live from joy. Live from a place of great peace. We can do this. This is how we are designed to live to be. So first and foremost, let us keep our attention and our focus on the fact that success is guaranteed. So when we move into despair and feel like something's wrong and bad, we can say, taint true, success is guaranteed, I'm going to focus on that. I am interested in that. Yes. I'm not interested in cultivating the capacity to be more tolerant of pain. I am interested in detecting the pee under the mattress, detecting the unloving thought in my awareness. Yes. And if you're interested in doing this work with me, Masterful Living 2023 registration is open. The bonuses begin this week. So please consider signing up now, getting all the bonuses. We've got live classes with me this week. Forgive and Be Free uh, starts Thursday, November 10th. Forgive and Be Free and so much more coming your way. Check out all the details at jenniferhadley.com. I'd love you to join me in Masterful Living this coming year. We have such a good time. People are always so, so grateful that they joined us. And now's the time to get all the bonuses to register now. And at jenniferhadley.com, you can get the details. All right, it's time for me to take a break. I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. My name's Jennifer Hadley. We're talking about A Course in Miracles, and we're talking about our spiritual success is guaranteed. We cannot fail. We can delay. We can procrastinate, but we cannot fail. And I find that so comforting. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So, in 
uh, chapter 2, section 3, paragraph 5, the children of God are entitled to the perfect comfort that comes from perfect trust. Until they achieve this, they waste themselves and their true creative powers on useless attempts to make themselves more comfortable by appropriate, inappropriate means. So this is the thing that all spiritual students do, right? Think of Buddha. This is what he did. He went outside the palace walls to explore what was happening out there. And he saw people were suffering and people were also enjoying pleasures. And there was this world of contrast beyond the palace walls. He really focused himself on enjoying all the pleasures that the world had to offer, that that adventuring, that discovering, the young man like a knight going out and discovering, going on adventures and all of that. And then he became tired of it. It became boring. The sensory pleasures became fruitless to him anymore. Now he was interested in the the voyage of inner discovery. So he started doing that and he went to the other extreme of deprivation and to deny the body. I am not a body. That was Buddha's big trip, right? Sitting under the Bodhi tree then is an ultimate denial of the body and saying, I am not getting up from under this tree until I have awakened from the dream of separation and identification with the body. So we are not doing what Buddha did in terms of that level of denial. In fact, it's important that we don't. This is one of the messages that he gave us with his life, that the middle way is the most fruitful path. So not indulging in all the pleasures of the world and not denying any of them, but just going the way of the middle way. So not being a monk or a priest or a nun, but the middle way, the householder, where you're in relationship with people, you're in the thick of it in our human experience, our human relationships, and you've got all that variety and of experience and in the midst of it, realizing that we're spiritual beings and that the answer to our difficulties, to our challenges, to our experience of problems is not in the world. The answer is not in the world. It's in our awareness. It's in our connection with spirit, which is where our awareness is. Now, this section, number three, in chapter two, is entitled The Altar of God. And what it begins with is that the atonement can only be accepted within you by releasing the inner light. So first we have to recognize there is an inner light and begin to release it. When we're releasing it, aren't we sharing it? Aren't we broadcasting it? Yes, this is one of the most fundamental ways for us to honor and recognize the inner light is to share it, to share the love of God within us. Yes. It says here, since the separation defenses have been used 
almost entirely to defend against the atonement and thus maintain the separation. This is generally seen as a need to protect the body. The many body fantasies in which minds engage arise from the distorted belief that the body can be used as a means for attaining atonement, attaining unity, attaining oneness. No, perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting this distortion because it alters only part of it. So there is value in thinking of the body as a temple that holds the, um, the spirit. Now, of course, the body doesn't hold the spirit. That doesn't even make sense. But it says here, perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting the distortion, the distortion of thinking that we are a body and the body can be used to attain enlightenment. That's what the Buddha worked on was the denial of the body as a means of attaining enlightenment by not identifying with the body anymore. So this helps us to work with our mind, but it doesn't solve the problem, the problem being the belief in separation. Now, recognizing we're not a body helps us to realize that awakening does not happen because of something going on in the physical. When we realize we're not a body, but we can awaken, our awareness can awaken from the dream of separation, that helps us to realize we are not a body. And what he talks about in here is... The He says, the real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. So thinking of the, the, the being as being the temple uh, and that the main thing is the altar within the temple. And I've talked about this before. The altar within the temple. The altar is our heart. So when we hold things in our heart, to me it's like we're placing them on the altar. And I talk about in my prayers very frequently. I record a daily prayer. I have my daily shot of spiritual espresso, written inspiration that I write every day. It's free. Anybody can sign up for my daily blog at jenniferhadley.com. And in my daily prayers, I frequently talk about the holy altar fire of God's love. So... The fire on the altar, many altars have some kind of fire. They have a candle or an eternal flame of some kind. The fire on the altar of God in our heart is that that passion for the truth. It is the Christ within. And when we feed that fire of the Christ within, when we fan the flames of that holy altar fire in our heart, we are burning away the attachments, the grievances, the grudges, the complaints, and every other 
false idol that's cluttering up the altar. Yes. In in this uh, paragraph two, uh, Jesus says, for perfect effectiveness, the atonement belongs at the center of the inner altar. So the unity of all life, the oneness, valuing the oneness, belongs at the center of the inner altar, of our heart, our heart awareness. Where it undoes the separation and restores the wholeness of the mind. So valuing the unity of all life restores the wholeness of the mind. Wholeness, completeness, unity. Before the separation, the mind was invulnerable to fear because fear did not exist. Both the separation and the fear are miscreations that must be undone for the restoration of the temple, for the opening of the altar to receive the atonement. This heals the separation by placing within you the one effective defense against all separation thoughts and making you perfectly invulnerable. So, valuing fear in any way speeds out, uh, diminishes, slows down our success. How would we value fear in any way? Have you ever tried to intimidate someone? Have you ever tried to threaten to withhold something from someone? Have you ever tried to punish someone by making them feel guilty or ashamed? Isn't that a way that we would value fear? and separation, thinking we could frighten others to do our bidding, that we could push them, manipulate them, control them with shaming them, attacking them, threatening them, withholding from them, making them feel bad and wrong and guilty. These are all things I have done for sure, many, 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 many times. I'm aware of that. So, I can't feed that dragon and wake up. I can't value fear in those ways and open my heart to love and the unity of all life simultaneously. I can only travel in one direction. I can't go in two directions simultaneously. Thank goodness. (laughs) Thank goodness. And so let's just take a moment right now and see if we can become more aware of the ways in which we value separation, value being able to have fear tactics, guilt and shame and blame tactics. Let's just... Sit with that a moment. Allow that higher Holy Spirit self to give us some awareness 
of where in our relationships, in our conversations, in our activities, are we valuing fear tactics? Because in doing so, we're keeping fear alive on the altar of our heart. We're saying, oh yes, this is a valuable thing. This weapon of fear. I I need it. I want it. I like it. I value it. And I am using it to manipulate myself and others. I think more than anything else, what people do is they frighten themselves more than they frighten other people. They frighten themselves. Going throughout their day saying things to themselves like, if you don't do this, you're going to fail. If you don't do this or if you do that, threatening themselves as a way of motivating themselves to do things or not do things through these threats. We can stop that right away. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned mental pattern. But it has nothing to do with our divinity. It has nothing to do with our wholeness. We can discard it. And you see, it's very ingrained in the ego thought system because if we just think about how most religions focus so much attention on labeling things as sin and bad and wrong in order to motivate people with fear not to be sinners. Instead of inspiring people to be more loving, to be more generous, to be more kind, to be more thoughtful and careful. A lot of religions instead focus on threatening and motivating with fear It's the way of the ego. It's the way of the world. But it's not our way. And how we know it's not our way is it makes us uncomfortable. So for me, it's been very, very helpful to consciously say, I'm going to inspire myself with love rather than motivate myself with fear and worry, and doubt, and shame, and blame, and regret, and resentment. I'm going to inspire myself with love, with beauty, with creativity, with will, will, willingness, and wholeness, and wisdom, and the all good. Inspiring myself. Showing me, oh look, Jennifer. You were just so loving there. You were so patient there. You were so kind there. I used to do that all the time. Look at you. You're being so patient. Yay, Jennifer can be patient. People have often said to me that I was amazingly patient. I didn't used to be. I used to be incredibly impatient. I used to be so 
aggravated and aggressive and hostile. And now I can be tremendously patient most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. And it's because I really trained myself to get my own brownie points, my own kudos by saying, look at you, look at you, you can be patient. And so even before going into that place of, look at you being patient, I had the first, the intention to look for the opportunities to be patient, to look for the opportunities to be kind, to be willing, to be generous, and say, oh, there's an opportunity right there. I can take advantage of that opportunity and go be patient and kind and loving and generous right there. Oh, there's another opportunity. Oh, there's another opportunity. Because I was interested in really shifting the energy and I realized that when I am being loving, good things happen. When I am being loving, I feel better. That's a good thing right away that happens. So rather than um, doing what Jesus talks about, uh, being capable of enormous procrastination, uh, Lord knows I was capable of enormous procrastination. I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in being willing. I'm interested in extending love and being compassionate. And I'm so, so grateful that I can practice. I can recognize the opportunities to practice. And in doing so, it's become much more natural to me because the rewards are immediate, right? Infinite patience produces immediate results. What are the immediate results? Peace, peace of mind, so much more valuable than motivating people with fear. Yes, being the peace of God, so much more valuable. And so we are retraining ourselves in this way. This is what the workbook lessons are for. And I think that's amazing. Yes. Oh. So in paragraph four, Jesus says, spiritual vision looks within and recognizes immediately that the altar's been defiled and needs to be repaired and protected. Perfectly aware of the right defense, it passes over all others, looking past error to truth. Because of the strength of its vision, it brings the mind into its service. This reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay, realizing that it only adds unnecessary pain. As a result, the mind becomes increasingly sensitive to what it would once have regarded as very minor intrusions of discomfort. So, this is the path we're on. It's very helpful to recognize every time we feel impatient, every time we feel irritated and frustrated, we can actually have a healing and get closer to that tipping point. Every time. 
So then it becomes a question of, are you interested? Now, some may say, well, maybe it's not just a question of, am I interested? But do I believe? And Jesus has got a plan for that. (laughs) He's got a plan for when we don't believe. He says in the workbook, you don't even have to believe this stuff. Just do it. Just do it. The healing will occur. The tipping point will appear if we are willing to just do these practices. And I find it's so much easier to do it in a group. It's more fun to do it in a group. We remember to laugh more easily, and that's a beautiful thing. And the encouragement is so lovely. It really is. I'm very inspired by the folks that I see all around me who are cultivating their willingness. Anyone cultivating their willingness is an inspiration to me. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Think of workbook lesson 122. Forgiveness offers everything I want. Because forgiveness is the end of the dream of separation. Separation is held in place by our unforgiveness. What could you want, it says, forgiveness cannot give. Do you want peace? Forgiveness offers it. Do you want happiness, a quiet mind, a certainty of purpose, and a sense of worth and beauty that transcends the world? Do you want care and safety and the warmth of sure protection always? Do you want a quietness that cannot be disturbed, a gentleness that can never be hurt, a deep abiding comfort and a rest so perfect it can never be upset? All this forgiveness offers you and more. It sparkles on your eyes as you awake and gives you joy which to me with which to meet the day. It soothes your forehead while you sleep and rests upon your eyelids so you see no dreams of fear and evil, malice and attack. Now, in our experience of the ego, it does seem as though forgiveness is for fools. I used to think that. No, never forgive. Always hold on to that grievance. Always hold on to that grudge. Whatever you do, don't let go. Be in that place of, I'm going to punish you. I'm never going to forget what you did to me. I'm never going to forgive it. I will always remember this wound that you caused me. So Jesus says here about forgiveness, why would you seek an answer? an answer to the pain, an answer to how to get the heck out of suffering in the hell. Why would you seek an answer other than the answer that will answer everything? Here is the perfect answer given to imperfect questions, meaningless requests, half-hearted willingness to hear, and less than halfway diligence and partial trust. (laughs) These are all the things that we are, you know, uh, 
complicit with, right? Halfway diligence, partial trust, half-hearted willingness, meaningless requests, help me, God, help me, but then we don't want the answer, right? Here is the answer. Forgiveness is the answer. Seek for it no more. You will not find another one instead. And then he says, God's plan for your salvation cannot change nor can it fail. Forgiveness is the way. Forgiveness is the way. This is why I focus on forgiveness. How to actually forgive so that the pain and the suffering ends. That's what I'm interested in. I've got my Forgive and Be Free class this week. We start Thursday, November 10th. And come and join us. I've always got free forgiveness things going on. My Forgive and Be Free class is a paid class. And it's also a bonus if you're enrolled in Masterful Living. The bonuses for Masterful Living are starting. So come and register for Masterful Living now. If you know you'd like to be in the program next year, come get the bonuses right now. All the details are at jenniferhadley.com. And if you're curious but you're not sure, maybe you just started listening to this podcast, book an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors. They'll answer all your questions. It's a free call. They uh, have all done Masterful Living, and they've been counseling people in Masterful Living for years. They're happy to talk with you and answer any questions you have. Oh my goodness, it goes by so fast, so fast, so fast. But let's just take this one thing away that our success is guaranteed. It's assured. So let's remember, forgiveness is the plan that cannot fail. It's God's plan for our salvation. Let's just get with the plan. Get with the plan. All right, let's take a prayer moment here. We place our hand on our heart. We are grateful and thankful for the love of God that shines so beautifully, so powerfully, so eternally in our heart and mind. We, we, we let that altar fire burn away every attachment we have to believing we are not worthy of love and that we are separate from the good of God. We share the benefits of our healing and expansion with everyone. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. God bless you. Mwah.